0: This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. So the common good of the universe. So why is this important for this conference? Because God is the common good of the universe, at least considered in one way and God is the object of charity and charity has as its object precisely God as the common spiritual common good of the universe not just according to nature but according to grace as a source of supernatural goods we share in supernatural goods um, and that's a, that's a common good and so thomas often compares it with the political common good and i mentioned that yesterday so if you remember then charity is supernatural supernatural in the sense that it has to be caused by god but mostly in this sense of what it's about it's about this common good that we don't have by nature We might not have had if God didn't decide to give it to us. It's an order that God established through the incarnation and then the death of Christ. And when we're talking about this love of God, then it's distinct from the natural love of God. Remember, there's a natural love of God common to all creatures, just their appetites for perfection, their own and that of the species. But then human beings have intellect and will, and they can will other goods naturally, meaning without grace. However, due to corrupt human nature, we're required to will God more than ourselves, but we are um, unable to with our own natural powers. So ought implies can only to the extent that with grace, we can fulfill the natural law. And so when we think about the common good of the universe, we have to think about it both from a natural perspective, and Aristotle talked about that to some extent. And then we have to see how, the, how grace retains a lot of the same structure, but it really elevates and changes our notion of what the common good of the universe is, not just of human beings. Okay. So there are three points that I'm going to make. Uh, Point number one, the universe, like the political community, has a unity of order. And its common good can be considered in two ways, namely as an internal order, different parts working together harmoniously for a common end. Uh, And then there's also a separate good namely God, who is common. So that's the first point. The second point, even on a natural level, humans and angels are ordered directly to the knowledge and love of God. So within this whole, certain members are ordered directly to God and others through the mediation of those that are ordered directly to God. So the lower parts of the universe are ordered to the higher, and in particular, creatures that are lower than humans are ordered to humans, right? or they're ordered to God through humans. And then the third point is that the good of grace is far incomparably superior to the natural order, and in this way, the good of all the parts of the universe and the order is Ordered to God through the good of the elect, of those who will have happiness with him in heaven. Okay? So there's a kind of threefold stage. First, what is this order? Parts and wholes. Second, ordering among the parts. Lower through higher. Human beings being central. Third, through grace. Uh, Those in uh, heaven or going to heaven being central. Okay, so that's the structure. All right, so the universe having a unity of order, we saw what that meant yesterday. There's different parts. They work together for an end. Um, Thomas finds this in Aristotle, in book 11 of the Metaphysics. Now, when Thomas reads Aristotle, you have to keep in mind that he doesn't just read the Aristotle or have the Aristotelian philosophy that you might have if you take a philosophy class or buy a copy of Aristotle's Metaphysics. Generations of people improved on the philosophy of Aristotle. So. There's a huge difference, if you look at it, between, say, the God of Christianity and the prime mover. In Aristotle, the prime mover, it's unclear whether it's an efficient cause, it's unclear whether and how it knows individuals. Um, But what happened is that people began to see that this prime mover was also what Plato talked about as the first good This prime mover is also something like Plato's Demiurge, that it creates things or moves things, maybe out of pre-existent matter, namely not. That it's the same as the one that Plato talks about. And eventually with Plotinus, you're able in some way to see that the forms don't have separate existence, but are either uh, the same as some essence or an idea uh, of some uh, higher being, okay? So it looks a lot more to Arabic philosophers and late pagan philosophers like the God of Christianity uh, or the God of the Old Testament than it might be if you just saw Aristotle and uh, you read Thomas Aquinas, because you're missing, I don't know, right? Uh, Not quite, 2,000 years, but 1,500 years of, of progress in human knowledge. But at any rate, in the metaphysics, we find an argument for a first mover. Now, if you want to understand the argument from the physics, it's a very basic book, but I mentioned it yesterday, Vincent Edward Smith's General Science of Nature, will give you at least the outlines of it. The metaphysics argument is slightly different, but he has that in mind. There is an argument and there's a particular way that Thomas reads it. To fully understand his thought, you need to read the argument. He thinks that to know things, you need to know premises and see how they lead to conclusions. But for our purposes, it's important to mention that Aristotle talks about there being different uh, immaterial movers of the heavenly bodies, the the bodies that move eternally in circles around the earth. And there seems to be some order among them. And it's not clear how that passage is related to the rest. Later thinkers would think that these are like angels or material gods if you're a pagan. But they're subordinate to one highest first cause. And this first cause, whether it makes things or not, is unclear in Aristotle. Uh, but it's certainly an end towards which everything is directed. And Aristotle then talks about the good of the universe in two ways. First, there's the parts, like in a political community, their well-functioning, their perfection. Second, something external, namely a separate prime mover that's different and separate from the universe and one thing. Okay. So you can think about this common good in two ways. Is the order of the parts or is the separate good? And there are analogs in the human community. Aristotle does not mention the political community so much as a family where you have, I don't know, different animals, servants, children, all for the sake of the father or you have uh, in an army, the different soldiers all for the sake of the leader of the army. In some ways people read this and they think, great, it would be better, good to be the leader because then it's your good or it's good to be the father because then it's your good. But part of the way they looked at it was, if you're the father or the leader, then you don't have an individual or private good. He just doesn't exist. That so was one of the arguments for kingship is they don't have any motive because they don't have anything to gain, right? At least that's the way that people often thought about it, right? There's no private motive for these uh, separate, separate rulers. Or if they did, they were misunderstanding what they were about in a serious way, which often happened. Now, Thomas Aquinas is clear, first in his commentary, that this order comes from God giving things their natures. But Aristotle's pretty clear about this as well. We talked about this yesterday. Things have natures that are directed towards what we can call goods. They aren't moral goods, but they're ends uh, that things tend to be directed towards that cause regularity in nature. Um Also, there's the notion of what? There's the notion of how the, the, this order or, or these parts reflect some sort of divine order and they're part of God's glory, His external glory, right? Doesn't really add anything to God, but it's like a superabundance that comes out of God. And you can still uh, dishonor Him. There are still things where His glory is achieved through something in a more perfect way than it would have been otherwise or before. That doesn't mean you're really adding to Him. Right? And this is sometimes people now, when they think of doing somebody an injury, they think of actually injuring the person like taking something from them, I don't know, or punching them, right? But usually the more serious injury is often a kind of dishonor or ingratitude. So your parents might be dead or they might not know what you're saying about them here, but you're still dishonoring them if you make up things about them or complain about them. You know, my parents are so mean, you know, they did this or that. That's not really hurting them. They might not find out about it, or they might be dead, but it's still an offense against your parents, right? Um, So God's a little bit like that. We don't really increase anything in him, but there's an external glory that comes out of his goodness, and we can be ungrateful, and we can dishonor him. So, the order that involves a suitability among different parts, like I talked about before. Uh, notice it's not just between members of the same species, but he thinks having just different species. This is a kind of order. And you always have lower and higher because you have some property present, some property lacking. Um, like uh, animals have sensation, plants don't. Humans have reasons, plants don't. All right, so humans are above plants, plants are above uh, immaterial things. A- no, humans are above animals, animals are above plants. And then of course, plants among uh, the various mixtures in the world. There's a cooperative activity. This common good is an order of parts they're acting and being acted upon. So it's not just the fact that the world exists, but that the world acts. There's a series of causes and this common end, namely the order of the parts and then God. So it's important then Thomas is distinct from a lot of other Catholic theologians and emphasizing that these inclinations and activities of the parts are not primarily for their own being, but even more for the common good. Even creatures without knowledge he thinks acts for the common good. It's a non-conscious kind of teleology. So it's not a view where the world is like a machine and there's some external order that makes everything work together and just moves the parts. It's that there are different natures that act because of what they are and are part of this common good. So it's internal to what things are. It's not like a watchmaker or... Somebody making a robot, even. Uh, Now, all creatures, he thinks we can see, are naturally inclined to their own conservation and being. We can see this in living creatures more particularly in the way they're inclined through their power of nutrition. Everything that lives, we can see, tends to eat. We just had to eat. Your dogs eat. The trees outside have to eat and drink sometimes. It helps them stay in being. Uh, These bodily creatures without knowledge are even more inclined to the preservation of their species, right? The individuals, the way matter is it falls apart, but they try to keep the world going. He knew a little bit about there being new species or different species, but not a whole lot about that okay so he had this picture where these species are more or less eternal and then most of all then like the individual is more inclined to the good of the species you look at the way that it acts it's acting as part of a member of the species perpetuating you know more and more rabbits forever there is going to be what I um, think this is all as part of the common good of the universe. And sometimes you might think, oh no, the rabbit just got eaten by the hawk, right? And you're very sad. But right, hawks do what they do and the evil has to kind of work in this way. So the individual as such might lose it, but it's the perfection of the whole, all right? Now, if the hawk actually took out the whole species, I think that would be a bigger kind of thing, but generally they just take out individuals of a species. Now, how is this different from intellectual creatures? For a lot of other Catholic theologians, the difference is intellectual creatures aren't self-seeking. Other creatures are. Thomas notes, you have this view where everything... um, seeks its own perfection, not just intellectual creatures, not not just, it's also the inanimate creatures, but the intellectual creatures, it's through knowledge, through a known good. Now, if you think about your rabbit, it's moving towards the carrot, it's running away from the hawk, it's sensing good and evils, right? It can kind of group things into vague categories, it has instincts, it has experience. But there's a limit to what rabbits can do. They don't really study hawks in general. They don't use mathematics and apply it to their knowledge. They're very, very intellectually limited. They have knowledge, but it's called sense knowledge. That doesn't really give you much about God, right? So the other creatures don't seem to have religion or knowledge of God, the other animals at least. So it's distinct about human beings. You have a part that's capable of thinking about the whole and knowing something about the common good of the whole. Naturally speaking, it's very, very limited. We know very little about God. We know him through his effects, and the effects aren't proportionate to the cause. But we do know that he exists and at least some other things about him. Um, and so you have this order then to God where the intellectual creatures, because they could know and love God, there's a kind of direct participation in this common good that not even the rabbits and the birds have. Okay. And so that's why we say, or Thomas says that the intellectual creatures um, are directly ordered to God in the highest way. And this presupposes then that God is in some way the external good of the universe. This internal order of the universe is created by God for God's own sake. It's not like God is improved by this. It's not that kind of good, but it expresses his love. It's an outpouring. There is a goodness, an external Uh, kind of glory that he has in the created order okay so it's created by God for God's sake this internal order exists for the sake of God and it's a reflection of the mind and will of God I mean a pathetic perfection no matter what universe you created it would be far far short of God Right? We, but we just know so little about God, we can't see that. We know Him from His effects. and whatever God is, He's much more than whatever we could know and find in the universe. Okay? So there's what you have, this internal order among the parts, each doing their own activity, the kind of order among them. And then you have the external good and Thomas is much clearer than Aristotle about the way that this internal or, that this that the order of the universe reflects the mind and the will of the external common good which is God but it makes sense if you think about it what explains the natures what explains the order okay it is the separate mover so there's got to be some sort of uh reflection of the glory there. Now on a natural level, you have to remember that humans and angels are directly ordered to God. Other creatures are ordered through intellectual beings and particularly humans. Okay? Humans are still parts. they aren't the whole but in a way they can know about the whole, that's what makes them directly ordered to God. Okay. But so they're parts of the whole, but they have a special relationship to the whole, as do any intellectual beings. What in Neoplatonism were like uh, gods, or in Aristotle, the immaterial movers of the spheres, become separate substances in Arabic philosophy and are recognized as angels in the Christian tradition. Angels in the sense of immaterial beings. They aren't always uh, good, right? So in fact, they thought that the angels that the Neoplatonists talked about and worshiped were devils. But but, right, that's in the book of Revelation to some extent in other places. But aside from the fact that the gods, they thought were devils, Christians generally, it's the idea that they're immaterial, right? Some are good, some are bad. But there's a class of immaterial beings naturally that can know and love God. And then there's embodied intellects, which are much lower, that can know and love God. But nothing else can do it through knowledge and love. Your rabbit can't. Uh, his beings directed to God, the, the, the continuation of the species, but the rabbit just doesn't, really can't know that it is. So that puts him on a lower level than you. Okay, so you've got a lot of hierarchy here. So you've got the direct order, the other creatures being ordered through humans, But this direct order of the humans and the angels and the ordering of the material things through the humans does not mean that the humans somehow escape being parts of the universe. Even in knowing and loving the common good of the universe, the parts are still performing an activity. And remember that this good consists in activity. It's not just being but it's the activity of the parts. And that activity is coordinated and ordered. Angels would know God directly. We know God through the material world. Right, it's probably always something more for us to know. Never quite get to the end of it. Um, but it's this, it's this uh, activity as a part, but as parts we are directed directly to the whole. We aren't outside the universe. We are, however, superior to the other animal bodies. By nature, we're far inferior to the angels. Okay, um, And our matter, Thomas thinks, is far inferior to the matter of the heavenly spheres, which never corrupts. Okay? But again, this uh, heavenly sphere stuff we know now is false. And Thomas thought that it might be shown that it's false. He says, this is a supposition. It seems like the best explanation. There's a lot in Thomas's view of the world that is uncertain. It's kind of his best guess, okay? But arguably, most of these points, we could read them if we want arguments for them in his commentaries on the physics, the metaphysics, and in the Summa Contra Gentiles text that if you look at the, the, the uh, notes. Okay. So then, to bring us to charity, there is this direct natural order to God, but we have very little in common with God. The distance between us and God is so profoundly great that by nature we're just unable to do a lot. About it. Our knowledge of God is so tiny by nature, and so in the distance from God, so great. Also, you have the fact of original sin. God allowed us to sin. Why? So He could save us. And this saving both healed our inability to love God more than ourselves, but it raised it. It was an offering of communication. So when we talk about friendship, what does it mean? Not just goodwill, but a living together, a sharing in goods, a common life. We didn't share those goods with God without grace, okay? The Jewish people shared them only in anticipation. Uh, Aristotle did not know about the sharing of goods with God. He had no idea. We mostly share in it in this life through love rather than intellect because we can't understand it. this sharing. We know a little bit about God through revelation, but again not very much in this life. But this is the greatest um, this is the greatest thing about the common good of the universe. So it's not just the universe as known through reason or known by Aristotle, it's the universe as known by the Bible and in particular, the New Testament. This notion that we are heirs, but it's not just an adoptive sonship, though it is that. There's some sort of sharing in grace of divine life in us that makes friendship possible, okay? Without revelation, there's no way for us knowing that any sort of friendship with God is possible. Natural love, yes. Worship, yes. Okay? Without grace, we don't have the fatherhood of God in the normal sense. As a metaphor, yes. Father, creator of all, etc. But it's very metaphorical. Okay? There's no real notion that we would have divine life in us. It's only grace, it's made possible by the uh, passion, the incarnation, the passion, and then our reception of the sacraments, and in particular baptism. And when we think about this good, if you look at my um, text here on section nine, Thomas says in the Summa Theologiae, the good of the universe is greater than the particular good of a single individual, as long as both are assumed to be in the same genus. Genus is like group or category that covers, that has species under it. But the good of grace that belongs to a single individual is greater than the good of nature of the whole universe. Because it's a sharing in divine life, it's completely out of proportion to any natural good. So we've got the perfection of the universe that Aristotle talked about, but one person in a state of grace is in a way going to be more perfect than the incomparable perfection that Aristotle was talking about. We just can't see it. We only know about it through faith, and we're still always trying to use images and think about things in a human way because we we cannot see it. Right, We're just kind of blind to the real world. There's a priest in Spain who is uh, in a car accident and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And people say, you know, oh, you must be uh, very uh, sad about this, how horrible it interrupted your ministry. And he said, well, you know, when you're a son of God, it's like, you know, I've won the lottery and then I just lost $10. Right, It's not, I mean, now I'd probably be complaining there, but it's because I don't see it, right? But if you see it or think about it, what he's saying is the strict truth. It's not an exaggeration. In fact, it's not even the strict truth because it's not even proportionate like 10 bucks is to winning the lottery. It's even bigger than that. And so when we think about it, then everybody, even like a a little baby that's kind of looks kind of like, well, my wife doesn't like it when I talk this way, but they don't look like they're good for anything. They're just kind of, (laughs) right? They don't do a lot. You baptize that baby and there's some sort of good there that's bigger than the good of the universe as described by Aristotle. It's absolutely incredible. And somehow we don't see it. But at any rate. So the good of grace is superior to any natural good, including the merely natural order among the parts of the universe. Now, this is a problem in Thomas's thought. He's, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's scripture. It's certainly Augustine, but it's a place where Thomas is often opposed. This reflection of God's goodness is seen both in reprobation and predestination when it comes to the order of the universe. Okay, So as at least Thomas see it, Catholics have to avoid two problems. One is double predestination, where God just chooses the end, and he chooses the means to the end. And this happens both with people who are saved and people who are damned. And on some versions of this view, some Calvinists, arguably Calvin and Luther themselves, God causes sin. For this reason. Okay. Thomas is very clear. And Thomas are very clear. That God causes the act that's sinful. But the defect. Is not something that is or can be caused. Okay. It's a disorder. The the aversion. The turning away from the good. Or the rule of reason. Also he's very clear that any punishment has to be for a fault. God cannot will to punish somebody and then cause them to sin. Punishment by its very nature has a notion of desert, which presupposes sin. So double predestination can't be right on the Thomistic account. And it was condemned by the church in the early Middle Ages. But you also want to hold that anybody who does anything good, it's because of God's free choice to give grace and to cause things in that person differently from the way in somebody else. And God first wills the end, namely the person is saved, then God causes the means towards the end. So our good deeds, or at least meritorious deeds, result from God's predestination. So the reward comes after, before the good deeds In the the order of explanation, God first wills to reward us, and then he makes sure that we get there. It's his power, not ours, that's acting. And it's not the same way with sin. God allows us to sin, but then ultimately we're punished only for what we did and caused the disorder. Thomas always explains this with respect to the order of the universe and the order of parts to the whole. Uh, very often you'll read Thomas say, well, of course we can't explain moral evil this way, or of course we can't explain uh, reprobation this way. But then they never explain why. At least I've never seen a, a convincing account of why not, and it flatly seems to contradict Thomas's texts. Um, it is something where, if it seems like the church on predestination, the reaction against Protestantism, it kind of kind of went the other way, and you have less and less over time of the Augustinian or Thomistic position. Um, but at any rate, for whatever reason, in Thomas's view, the predestination and reprobation reflect God's order and God's attributes, his glory in the world. So in the one case, you have mercy. None of us deserve to go to heaven, right? We only go to heaven because God had mercy on us. We have grace because God has mercy on us. And reprobation results, that shows God's justice. We don't know how evil sin is. That's part of the problem. How can God punish anybody for all eternity, right? I mean, know of one person who would say, you know, there has to be a hell because you need to have some place for uh, Hitler, Stalin, and Franklin Roosevelt. Okay, <laughs> right. But, uh, okay. Whatever, whatever that be, right, it's not necessarily huge sins because they, you know, they're huge by human standards or what we can see. Look, millions of people dead But really, the full evil of sin is something just beyond our grasp. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, we just don't see it. And so the justice then puts this order right. It's not like, uh, you know, some kid stealing a piece of gum or talking in class and then the teacher punishes him for eternity. This is something real sin in the full sense of the world, mortal sin, a worse evil than any sickness, death, any natural evil that we could describe. I find people now often won't even say this, nevertheless realize it. I found that it's because of a talk somebody was giving. They had this kind of theory that sin is a worse kind of evil than everything else. And I'm thinking, Yeah, I mean, that's just traditional Christian literature, right? You find that in lots of old devotional works. Uh, Maybe you don't hear it today, I don't know. But it's true. Okay. And so you've got the good of the universe. How does this work? The elect are directly ordered to the good of the universe. See this in text 11. So then suppose that we think of the whole human race as a complete collection of things. God willed that some men whom he predestined should represent his goodness in the mode of mercy by sparing them. And he willed that other men whom he reprobates, should represent his goodness in the mode of justice by punishing them. And this is the reason why God chooses some and reprobates others. Right? On account of his justice and mercy. This is not Aristotle. It's straightforwardly uh, Augustine. Then I think, it seems to me, it's straightforwardly St. Paul, although people disagree about that. It's hard to argue that it's not St. Augustine, right? The Fathers. Prosper of Aquitaine. And so then we have this order, this supernatural order that's greater, and then there's an order within here. God's goodness reflected in different ways by people in heaven, people in hell. Okay, and then of course people going one way or the other. So it's the ones in heaven who most immediately are directed directly to God and more than there ever could be through this natural order. They share in his divine life. They see him. Okay, they love him. They're directly united to this principal common good of the universe. And this is really, for St. Thomas, what the common good of the universe is about. God is the source of the supernatural goods, and that's the object of our charity, All right? The reprobate within the intellectual creatures seem to be ordained for the sake of the elect, people seeing God. And that's why in the order of charity, we can't really will good to the reprobate for their own sake, good to people in hell for their own sake, good for the damned angels. Right? Um, And he talks about this in text 13 in terms of friendship. With the demons. Can we be friendly with the demons? No. Right? Because... They desire bad things, they're in hell, they're being punished. They're incapable of heaven, of loving and knowing God as he should be known and love. Belongs to the nature of friendship that we will good for our friends. But we cannot will out of charity the good of eternal life, which charity has to do with for those spirits who have been damned for eternity by God. For this would be incompatible with the charity of God, through which we give our approval to his justice. So the fact that we're loving God, we're loving the way his attributes are shown in the world, including his mercy and his justice. Okay? So the love of God requires that we do not love the damned. Unless, and then this is the exception, there is a way in which we can love things out of charity just as reflecting God's glory. So we were talking the other day about loving wine. Well, we love wine for a person for somebody capable of possessing and knowing the good, having an intellectual good, right? Through the love of a friendship, not necessarily friendship, but it's called the love of friendship. We're willing not just the thing itself, but we're willing it for somebody, for a person or a subject. Um, Same thing with non-rational creatures. We can love them, but they're incapable of kind of having happiness. I mean, you can have them happy in the way that we can be happy if we go to the beach or something a little bit like, right? Your dog can have a good day and a bad day, but I mean happiness in the sense of this kind of full rational activity. It's just not something that applies to animal activity, non-human animal activity or animal activity as such. And so that's why with charity, we can only love... The souls in heaven or people in heaven. I mean, Jesus and Mary aren't just souls there. And we can love uh, people who are capable of going to heaven, namely people who aren't dead yet. We can't love the souls in hell. We can't will good to them, happiness to them any more than we can will happiness to a rabbit or a carrot or a tree. They can't be happy, okay? So when we talk about the order of the universe and the order of charity, principally we're loving God, the common good of the universe, the spiritual common good. The common good of the universe, which is the activity and order of the parts, is a reflection of this divine creator. It's directed towards him. The activities exist for his own sake, most especially intellectual creatures. Because they can know and love him. And that's just naturally. Supernaturally, it's not even there's no proportion to the supernatural common good, which Aristotle had no idea about. We would have we would not expect it, we wouldn't think about it probably, without revelation. At least it would seem like something maybe possible, I don't know, right? A a possibility at best. But with revelation, we know that it's the case. We know that it actually exists and is offered. But then that also changes the common good of the universe because you have some who achieve this end through God's mercy and others who fail to reach it and are punished through justice. And so then through charity, we only love those things, those people who are happy, or who can be happy. And that's really what the common good of the universe consists in for Thomas. So he is Aristotelian in many ways. He uses this part-whole relationship right out of Aristotle. Internal order and separate good right out of Aristotle. But this is something that you find in Thomas Aquinas. Incomparably more important, though, is the spiritual common good given to us through the incarnation and the uh, death and resurrection of our Lord. And so it's not opposed to this natural order, but higher than it and just uh, really in- incomparably good. Okay. That's all I have to say.